Welcome to On Mike with Jordan Rich, where the art of conversation is alive and well, with some really cool people stopping by, including today's wonderful guest. She is one of the nation's top novelists, Lynn Hightower, with books selling all over the world, the author of numerous thrillers, including the Sonora Blair and Lena Paget detective series. But she's got a lot of standalones that are really rip-roaring fun, including The Enlightenment Project, This deals a bit with demon possession. And Lynn and I have become fast friends off the air. She sent me another one of her works called The Piper, which I read in two nights. Absolutely stunning, scary, scary stuff that opens with an eerie phone call from a dead relative, and it just takes off from there. So we're thrilled to have Lynn join us. And a very good friend of hers, Leah, her German shepherd, whom you will hear in the background. Leah is also a fine conversationalist. So let's talk about this devilish book, The Enlightenment Project, with today's wonderful guest, Lynn Hightower, as she joins us on mic. Love the book. Absolutely love anything that do with demons and, and spirituality and, and evil forces. Why is that? Why am I? What am I, a weirdo? No, no, no. I'm fascinated, right? And I've got to ask you about William Peter Blatty, his original book, The Exorcist, based on a real case. Did that have a lot of influence on your career as a writer exploring these issues? Yes, absolutely. Um, I saw The Exorcist uh, when I was very young, and uh, it terrified me. I was so scared. You know, what's the big question? Is this real? Can Mm -hmm. it happen to you? Mm -hmm. I mean, didn't it terrify you? Come on. I think we're about the same age. We're in the same generation anyway. And I saw it and I couldn't, I had to see it 10 times. I loved it so much. It did scare the heck out of me, of course, but I found it totally fascinating. And the the power struggle, the good and evil police captain who comes in the middle of it all. I interviewed William Peter Blatty maybe 20 years ago and, and chatted with him. Did you ever get a chance to meet him and talk with him? No, um, but I read all his interviews. I read all his okay. books, mm-hmm. and um, and his book was powerful. And the older priest who was so vulnerable that just was absolutely riveting to me. And um, so, I, you know, I always wondered if it was real and if it could happen to me. And um, and then I ran across Glimpses of the Devil yes. by M. Scott Peck. Have you read that? No, but I'm very familiar with who M. Scott Peck is, one of the most respected members of the psychiatric community ever, Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, I, you know, I had read all his books, and I thought he was fabulous. And this book just blew me away. Did you know that he spent the last years of his career doing exorcisms? That I did not know. I do know, Lynn, that exorcisms... The, the actual official Catholic Church exorcisms uh, have been skyrocketing in terms of numbers over the years, apparently. The number of exorcist priests in the Catholic Church has quadrupled in the last year. It's By the way, that's not an evil spirit we hear barking. Uh, that's just your, no, that your lovely that is my, pet. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's my, um, that's my baby dog, Leah, who is a German <laughs> shepherd. We want to and welcome she Leah. Is all the way at the end of the house, locked into the laundry room. There are four closed doors. But something, somebody's done by. She's not possessed. She's just there and she loves you. So that's okay. I have no problem with that. So uh, there's so much to talk about. Let's let's focus on the novel, uh, which has a title. And if you look it up, a whole lot of books with this title, The Enlightenment Project or The Enlightenment Program or whatever. But yours is a novel that Lee Child, whom I love, raves about. And I loved it too. What is the project? The Enlightenment Project is a research project done by my hero, Mm -hmm. Noah Archer, Mm -hmm. who uh, was possessed as a child at the age of 11. 
when his father died and he was very vulnerable and a little bit willing because as M. Scott Peck says, you have to be vulnerable and willing. Mm. Okay. He's a neurosurgeon, so he's a man of science. But yes, what he's, he's trying to do with the Enlightenment Project is is cross the gap between physiology and spirituality and, and the demon world and so forth, right? That's exactly right. And he's also looking for a way to give people the tools to deal with it. You know, he comes up with, if you research neurologists, they often advise their patients um, to meditate. But how do you meditate? You know, a lot of people are just wrestling with their brain and trying not to think, which is a ludicrous way to tell people to meditate, in my opinion. So he creates enlightenment on demand by uh, electrical stimulation of all the areas of the brain that have been mapped out uh, that cover spirituality. And it, it, it is a part of all kinds of sections of the brain. So much research. I was reading the list of books and research papers that you delved into, and all the stuff that's in the novel is stuff that could happen or has at least been thought about, correct? Yes, it could happen and it has happened. Mm -hmm. Exorcisms have gone mainstream now. And you have, um, you know, you have exorcists on Twitter. You have, uh, if you go on YouTube, you can um, watch interviews with exorcists. They have sociologists who have researched it, mm -hmm. and they will give you the average possessed person is this. Male, between the ages of 40 and 50, mm -hmm. highly educated and very successful in their business. That, that That's so true in the book, in the novel, because you have a subject that's... Uh, under the tutelage of the doctor who's trying to help. And he right. is exactly that individual you discussed. He's that kind of guy. He's fitting. Yeah. In oh, yeah. He's uh, he's in finance. He's really smart. He's got a great family and he became vulnerable and uh, he invited it in. And then his back was to the wall. Yeah. Now, it used to be thought that people who were claiming possession were simply mentally ill. It, yeah. Of course, before that, it was you didn't have any definition of mental illness. You were possessed in the old, old days. But yeah. now talk a little bit about what the DSM has to say about all this. It is now a recognized psychiatric condition. Everything has flipped. You know, you have psychiatrists going to exorcists in a panic. They have patients that... Uh, you know, they're not schizophrenic. They are not dissociating. They are not getting better with medication or therapy of any kind, and they don't know how to help them. So they go to the exorcist and they say, we need you. And then the exorcist is the skeptic. Well, all right, we've got to rule out all these psychiatric conditions. We've got to rule out everything physical, and we're going to have to talk to them and try and figure out how this might have started up and how it's manifesting. And really only about 5% of the people that go to an exorcist for help are truly possessed. However, many of them get help uh, with, um, you know, prayers of deliverance right. or right. they're, you know, referred to counselors or doctors. Now, how do demons manifest themselves in the novel and how uh, closely aligned to whatever you researched does that come? Because... I love the red-haired man. We'll talk about him now, if you will. The red-haired man is an insider, and he is so mysterious. He's a physical manifestation, I think, of a very malevolent mm. entity. And I ran across this in my research 
in one place. And, um, and then I lost it. I lost the link and I couldn't find it again, but I'd made plenty of notes. So. <laughs> no offense to gingers out there. We love redheads. No but. offense, no offense, but I can <laughs> see him in my mind. And he is maybe a physical manifestation of uh, what it is like hmm. to have these, um, you know, demonic entities haunting you. We're talking with Lynn Hightower. You've written, we'll talk about this, some other very successful best-selling series and mysteries and sci-fi and all that. But this is sort of taking it to the next level because now we're dealing with that which is not even sci-fi, but spiritual sci-fi, if you will. What about the religious aspects? Uh, talk about any religious aspects in the book because you have a, a priest who's vulnerable as well. Does it Does it limit itself to Catholic or Christian denominations, this kind of condition? Uh, oh, exorcisms? No, they're done in just about every denomination. Um, you know, what we don't realize in the U.S. is that we think it's new, but they've been doing exorcisms everywhere else in the world forever, ongoing, and it's, uh, it's, it, there's just more and more and more of it every day. What, what um, it, I also wanted to ask you what you found um, about any connection between the... Um, near-death experience and the experience of, quote-unquote, demon possession, because a lot of research has gone into that, and you talk about researching that as well, I guess. Right. Um, Near-death experiences fascinate me because um, the brain quits functioning, okay? And so the science, the science explanation that it's just um, things that the brains are, are hormones or things that are being stimulated, mm. Um aren't true because the brain isn't functioning. So I think it's pretty clear that consciousness is separate from the brain. Okay. It's not like the brain holds our consciousness and our soul, but the brain is a part of it and a tool of that. Okay. Right. And that is, as it also um, dovetails with terminal lucidity. You know, you take someone who's had dementia and they haven't been able to connect or even talk. And then before they die, they will sit up, they will talk, they will remember. Well, how does that happen with a brain that is no longer functioning? That, to me, is part of consciousness. And I've interviewed uh, dozens and dozens of, of authors and, and witnesses and personal experiencers with this condition. And uh, what's really remarkable always is you can point to things that they pick out in the operating room or in the in the surgeon's office mm -hmm. uh, that they would never know because they're in a room three doors down uh, in the same hospital wing or something. It's just bizarre. Yeah, it changes people too. It's a very strong spiritual experience and it absolutely changes their outlook on life. And that's part of what I'm writing about when you have a strong spiritual experience like that. Now, some, um, some would say, Lynn, that trauma itself, like losing a parent at the age of 11 or 12, can do so much, and it does so much, to affect the psyche. Uh, what, mm -hmm. what role does trauma play for, we talked about it earlier, but in the, in the development of this connection right. with the other side? Oh, well, uh, it's made uh, Noah very vulnerable. Okay, and he is looking for something and he grabs hold of something very dark. But childhood trauma, I mean, it he spends his career running from it, trying to solve it. Um, and you know, there, I, I interviewed a lot of psychiatrists about childhood trauma. And uh, what they told me was that 
even if you don't remember, if your mind doesn't remember, your body remembers. And anything that triggers it, it could be a smell, it could be the time of year, anything that triggers it means that you are going, could very easily be re-experiencing your trauma because the body remembers the trauma. No spoilers guaranteed, but uh, Noah, who's now an adult operating on a young girl, I guess, experiences this whiff of faint remembrance, not happy remembrance of that connection with the demon when he's operating on a girl and has his hands inside her head, literally, right? Yes, exactly. Wow. Yes. That's powerful, yeah. powerful stuff. Can can we talk briefly about your other series, since we've never had a chance to chat with you on air, about your other detective series? You've got several going. Uh, right. Tell us a little bit about those. Well, okay. Um, my first series was uh, a science fiction cop novel where we had alien cops and human cops. And I had written, you know, the first six chapters of it. And then the movie Alien Nation came out. And I thought, oh, no. (laughs) But it sold the book because um, an editor had my first novel. And I sent these six chapters to my agent. He loved them. He said, oh, I'm going to send them to her. And she called him two days later and said, yeah, I don't like that novel. But these six chapters, I love those. I loved Alien Nation. So we had a series. So, yeah, that there was you fun. Go. And you have some that are a little bit more down to earth, right? Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got um, Sonora Blair, who is a homicide detective in Cincinnati, a single mother with a dog and two kids. And um, Speaking of dogs, there, there she is again. <laughs> I know. I know. There's someone doing yard work. It's okay. Like, it's oh, okay. She's she, alerting me. She's That's her job. Right, right. That's why she's in the laundry room because she does her job very well. I will tell you this though. I got really scared writing my book and it is very good to have a very big dog. You, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. You say that because I've talked to numerous novelists over the years, including Lee Childs. And I always ask about how the process goes and so forth. And, and to a person, and I'll get your take on this, they usually say, well, the characters write themselves. They sort of take on their own life. But here you have not only good guys and humans, but you've got demonic forces. So uh, that must have been uh, a little spooky writing the red-haired man. Imagine writing this and feeling extremely freaked out, and your dog jumps up, looks over your shoulder, mind you, it's 5 a.m. and the world is very quiet and dark, and starts this low, menacing growl, seeing something that you don't see. Oh, my gosh. That was terrifying, and it happened several times. Makes for a better writer, perhaps, because if you're there at the keyboard, you can just write your feelings. (laughs) Uh, I I write my first draft by hand. By hand? Really? I do. What's yes, your what's your what's your instrument? What what kind of? Well, I'm holding up a pen. What do you use? Fountain pen Fountain and pen. Um, pad. And uh, I studied with Wendell Berry, the great poet and um, novelist. And uh, in fact, we just exchanged some letters recently. And I said, I don't know why, but I always do my first draft by hand. They're better. And he wrote me back and he said, Well, of course they're better. You know, and we were discussing art and the body and that creative loop between the mind and the physical. So 
uh, I thought, oh, I'm so glad there's a good reason I did it. I thought I was just eccentric. I so. love it. I love it. You're inspiring me to get back into fountain pen for, for letter writing. I love that. Just yeah. means so I much. I use disposable ones, so I throw them away. Yeah, those, that's fine. I'm, <laughs> I yeah. love that. Now, um, you, okay, so you got Sonora, who is the homicide right. detective. You have another series, correct? Yes. Um, this was, um, I started this with a book called Satan's Lambs. And it was about a female private investigator who took on a satanic cult. She got into the business because her sister was married to the guy that ran the cult and he murdered her. And so she, most of her cases are women who um, need help and they don't have a lot of money. So, you know, they'll pay her by bringing a dinner over twice a week for six months or, Hey, I'll clean your house. You make my ex-husband leave me alone. Okay. So it's just a very quid pro quo kind of thing. Interesting. You're turning yeah. me into a Lynn Hightower wannabe fan. I'm already a fan from this one, but I want to read these. Talk a little bit with us as well about the fact that you teach and advise other young writers. How do you do that? Do you do that in classes or one-on-one or how does that work? Well, I do both. Um, I'm a manuscript consultant coach. So any writers who want to work with me um, and uh they send me pages and then I give them integrated feedback notes and then we zoom and we talk about it. And a lot of it is not just the writing, but the writing life, you know, mm. as novelists, we always think we're supposed to be perfect and we're not um, spitball sessions, you know, to get people going on their story. And um, I also teach at uh, UCLA in the writer's program Excellent. and uh, we'll just do it online and, you know, really, Everything I teach and the way I run my classes comes directly from taking classes with Wendell Berry um, because it's always about, it's very blunt. This is working. This is not. This is why. These are methods. Now you make your own conscious creative mm. decision. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, as I said earlier, Lee Child wrote, Lynn Hightower is a brave, bold writer, and this spooky, suspenseful masterpiece could be her best yet. Super recommended. Can you ask for anything more from one of the biggest no, writers on the, the planet? it was the most fabulous <laughs> thing in the world. I was so thrilled because, um, you know, we, we exchanged some emails and he said, yeah, send it to me now. I'll read it. And he read it. And he emailed back and he said, no, really, I really liked this. That's so, was, so cool. He was very kind to take the time to do that. Well, uh, one more thing about the book that we're talking about, mm -hmm. The Enlightenment Project, and I'm glad you talked about your other series. There's a very strong female character here, the wife of Noah. And yes. uh, oftentimes, you know, it's the hero and he's there in the center of it all. He's the anti-hero in a sense. But she's a very strong character. Uh, yes, was there somebody in mind when you wrote her? Somebody you know? No, she just came to me. Um, it was a gift. She was so strong-willed and so um, wise and so betrayed by the secrets that he kept from her. And their marriage, uh, I, I think their marriage is one of the most interesting parts of the story, how, his, how secretive he was about it and how it isolated him. And then when she finds out, you know, she doesn't trust yeah, him anymore. Yeah. They, they find their way back together and they fall in love again. And, right. and I think that's very romantic because, you know, when you're running from an avalanche, it's not pretty. And um, <laughs> well, they have to stay together, partner up and get through it. 
And I think that's a very romantic part of the story. Well, it raises the question, how do you tell the person you love or you want to marry? Oh, by the way, I was possessed when I was. You mean your car was repoed? No, no, no. I was possessed. <laughs> right. Well, I think I don't know how you tell people that he kept it secret and he thought the secret would never come out. He compartmentalized it and put it on a shelf. Uh, and then it, you know, came back. It's a great read, and it's really thought-provoking. And when people understand that you did so much deep research, and I'm so glad you mentioned Scott Peck and others, they'll realize this is not just made up out of whole cloth. There's a lot of um, substantive yeah. background material here that you based it on. Yeah, it's happening. But it's a thrill ride from beginning to end. That's my quote. And it's so nice to meet you, Lynn. Uh, what, let, let's share with the audience, and this is pretty easy because it's your name. Spell out your website, if you would, for us. Sure. It's um, lynnhightower.com. L-Y-N-N-H-I-G-H-T-O-W-E-R.com. It's a great name, Lynn Hightower. It just, it just, it sounds like you should be a novelist, and you are. (laughs) (laughs) Preordained, I'm sure. Well, very nice to meet you. Wishing you the best and can't wait for the next book. Thank you. Do read The Enlightenment Project. I loved it. And the other book I just finished from Lynn is called The Piper. She's Lynn Hightower, L-Y-N-N-H-I-G-H-T-O-W-E-R, lynnhightower.com. International bestselling author and a delightful lady. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, Ken Carberry and the gang at Chart Productions in Boston. And a special thank you to you and the audience who support this podcast by rating and reviewing us and passing it along to your friends. Really appreciate it. For much more, visit jordanrich.com. And remember, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.